This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I'm going to carry on with week two of our series called Love Illuminated, and it's, it's revolving around the uh, book of 1 John. And so hopefully you did your homework last week and read the first chapter of 1 John. And the homework this week is to read the second chapter of 1 John. So not too hard, just one, one chapter, about 30 verses or so. And um, last week we covered uh, the concepts of the importance of fellowship with God, but also fellowship with God's kids. And we talked about the importance of that being a foundational piece for your identity in Christ. And so we're going to jump in and we're going to look at chapter 2 this week. And I'm praying, just like I shared last week, but I am literally praying that this entire month will be filled with God encounters for you with His love. That you would experience the love of the Father in such a profound way this month. That it wouldn't just be a bunch of thoughts and nice ideas. Because if we're being honest, I grew up in church and my thought of God for the first 20 years of my life was that he was always angry at me. <laughs> Come on. Am I the only one? No? Okay, good. I always thought he was angry. I always thought that, you know, there's lightning bolts from the sky coming down to absolutely destroy my life. Um, I was picturing a lot of, you know, 1960s movies, you know, with uh, Charlton Heston. Right? Yeah, but the best ones, of course, as we all know, are ones with British accents. Just saying. Just saying. Anyhow, moving right along. But um, I want you to understand, as the foundation for today's chapter, the concept of your identity. How many know that we decide every single day who or what we place our identity in? And sometimes we make choices based upon who or what we want to please. So our identity changes depending on who we're talking to, what environment we're in, who's around and what God wants you to understand today, that when you are rooted in Him, His identity for you becomes your life. It becomes your, uh, the way you think. It becomes the way you act. It becomes your behavior, your character, everything about you. But interesting in chapter 2, it transitions out of just identity. And it starts to kind of contrast two different thoughts. And that's what we're going to spend time this morning talking about is these two different contrasting thoughts or themes. One is the love of God for you, and two is the love that you've placed within your heart for the world. So we're going to contrast those two concepts today. Um, in the love of the world, if I can say it like this, it is, it's the things that the world uses to, uh, to either bait believers, to weaken believers, to cause believers to stumble or to knock believers off course. And I honestly can say from my own life and my own journey that some of the greatest moments with God have always, directly after it, have come an opportunity for me to go backwards into the old way of thinking. You think to yourself, when you have a move of God, you have a touch of God, that that's just impossible. No, sometimes the greatest temptations came right after it. Because the enemy recognizes that he's got uh, his claws in you still, and he doesn't want to lose grip on you. And I don't want to be kind of weird today. But you have to understand, the enemy does not want to lose control over your life. And so the moment you say yes to the love of God, and you say no to the love of the world, 
He's not happy. He's just not happy. I love uh, a theologian by the name of G.V. Wigram. He said this, and I love this quote. He said, if born of God, I have power to overcome all that is not of God. If born of God, I have the power to overcome all that is not of God. So it really comes down to a choice. It comes down to what love we're going to live in. Are we going to live in the love of the Father for us, or are we going to live in the love of the world? There's only two choices, all right? Um, So let's jump into this chapter, and I'm actually going to start a little bit further down. I'm going to start at verse 12. And uh, again, I want to encourage you to read chapter 2 this week. I think it will be a blessing for you. Um, But I want you to just know the context of where John is writing here. He's actually writing to three very specific groups of people. And they're not people based on age, but they're people based on spiritual age or spiritual maturity. So there's three different types of people, groups of people that he's uh, talking to. And he's literally encouraging them to strengthen their foundation. But at the same time, he's warning them against the temptation of the love of the world. And before you think that you don't have a problem with the love of the world and everything's okay and, you know, that's for somebody else and I'm perfect and I have no problems, I want you to understand that you have a default mode within you that always defaults to things that you know deep down is not good for you. You default to certain people. You default to certain patterns of thinking. Honestly, one of the things that I've seen in pastoral ministry and in social work before I became a pastor that has been a consistent issue for people for years is that at the end of the day, most people are struggling with such a poor self-image that they couldn't even believe what God says about them even if they tried. God could sit here himself today and say to you, you're the best, you're my favorite, you're awesome, I love you, I have a plan and a purpose for your life, and every word that's coming in your left ear flies out the right ear, and you don't take any of it in. And because the love of the world and the concepts of the world have been rooted within your thought pattern, and it's in culture, you can't get away from it. Culture will constantly talk about the love of the world. That's all they do. So you have to understand there's two contrasting themes or thoughts here. Okay? We good? So, I'm going to start reading in 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It's going to be on the screen right behind you, so you can read right along with me. It says this, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. That's Christ's name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know uh, him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. I want you to notice three different types of people, three different groups of people. He's literally referencing young believers, growing believers, and mature believers. These are the three groups of people that he's actually addressing here. And I want you to see something because the emphasis that John places on each group is very interesting. And I think we can learn a lot from what John is trying to emphasize. For young believers, these are literally either brand new believers or they are young, very young in their faith. Whether you say that's six months, a year, I don't know. But these are people that are literally in the beginning stages of their journey in their walk with Christ. Um, And I can honestly say these are also people that have never come across a battle with the enemy quite yet. They're so excited. The world is just awesome. 
God is awesome, and everything about life is awesome because they watched the Lego movie at least five times all in one weekend. Just saying, because that's what we just watched all weekend in anticipation of Lego Movie 2, the second part. Pray for me. The first one was painful enough. Although Lego Batman was awesome. Just saying, I'm just saying. Lego Batman is like in my top three list. Okay, I'm just saying. That's awesome. Oh, darkness. I love that first line. You know, it's like awesome. Anyhow, for those that have not seen it, guys, go on a date, date night and watch Lego Batman. I mean, if that's not inspiring, I don't know what is. You know, it's just awesome. But I want you to catch the two things that are said and declared to the young believers. The first thing is in verse 12, and it says, Because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Because your sins have been forgiven. How many know that when you think about the mistakes that you have made in your life, and you think about all the things that no one even knows about, that you've done, or you've thought, and you think in one moment, Jesus on the cross forgave them all. He blotted it out. It's no longer there. It doesn't have to be paid for by yourself. It was paid for by Jesus. Think about that. It's awesome. But verse 14, it goes on and it says, Because you know the Father. You have to understand, the, the advice that he's given to every young believer is simple. It's, it's simply this. Keep your focus on what you've been forgiven from. Constantly think about the things that Jesus has personally forgiven you from. Somebody has asked me, oh, you know, you look like you've got a great life and you've got it all together. And I go, you have no idea the things that I have done. Whether in action or even in thought or in secret. That the only one that knows is Jesus. But he chooses to forgive me of all of them. You may be here this morning and you say, well, yeah, God can forgive a lot of things, but he can't forgive that. I had the same thought. I had the same pattern in my mind that, well, you know, I know God can forgive these little things over here because, you know, he's a loving God, but he, he couldn't forgive that. That's a, like, I willfully did that. Do you understand? You have to understand that for a young believer, God, John is literally saying to you, Focus and remember what you've been forgiven from. If you remember that, the second part becomes so much easier. The second part is what I call the lesson in overcoming, is then your identity is in God, not in who you used to be, but in who God's called you to be. Think about this. When he says, know the Father, he's saying, put your focus on knowing the Father heart of God for you. One of the things that I honestly am I'm just consistently shocked that God has not sued us for libel or slander because how many times do we misrepresent his love? How many times do we declare something about his love that's actually not true? But it's been passed down. We have so many traditions of men in the church and of women in the church that literally declares God is this way. But my Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that you wouldn't have to perish, 
but have everlasting life. That's my father. I don't know about who your father is, but that's my father. So how do we keep growing? How do we keep overcoming when we are young in our faith? Two things. Remember what you've been forgiven of. Second thing is, know the Father. Know your identity. Know who you are. Because the enemy is going to throw words and phrases at you to convince you that you're this other person. But God is saying no. The second group of believers is what I'm going to call growing believers. These are believers who are learning but not yet quite mature in their faith. They've already got some battle scars from the battles they've had with the enemy. Um, They're growing. They're excited. But they also recognize uh, very soberly the fact that the enemy does not like them and doesn't want them to be successful. And there's two things that John says to them. Verse 13 is the first thing. It says, because you have overcome the evil one. How many know to overcome the evil one in battle takes faith? Growing believers understand how to exercise faith. It doesn't mean they do it right every time. But it means that they have this trust of God in their lives that says, I'm going to step out in faith and trust you, God, that you're going to meet me right where I'm at. And you're going to do something powerful. But verse 14, it says, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So John's advice to this group is simple. Keep walking in faith. And two... The lesson in overcoming is faith only comes by the word of God. I've had this conversation so many times. I, 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 in some ways, I feel almost bad because I feel like I'm a broken record and I don't want to be annoying. I hate being annoying. But here's what I've learned. For the first 22 years of my life, I was an experiential Christian. In other words, as long as I was experiencing some cool things, I was a happy Christian. And if I wasn't experiencing those things, I was thinking God didn't love me, God didn't care about me, God's left me, God left me high and dry, God has moved on to somebody else, God loves somebody more than me, and I don't care anymore. And then at 22, I did something that I never had done in the first 22 years of my life, at least not to the degree I did at 22. The Bible became my anchor. The Bible became the word of life to me. The Bible became my answer in time of need, not a circumstance to change. And here's what I realized. The more I got the word of God in me, more faith came out of me. The more faith came out of me, the more breakthrough and the more moments with God I saw. And the more I saw, I didn't get excited and revert back to being experiential. And, oh, wow, this is awesome. I'm going to feel great about this. No, I kept going back to the source that would sustain those moments over and over and over and over again. The Word of God. The Word of God is your anchor. The Word of God is your anchor to your identity in Christ. The Word of God is the anchor to your emotions. When you're not feeling good today, when you're not feeling like doing what you know you should do, the Word of God acts as the anchor and it's the nudge. Yeah, I know, Cameron, you feel that guy today, but... Yeah, I know, Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. But growing believers exercise their faith by putting the word of God in them. Because when circumstances in the enemy come right to you, it's the word of God that is squeezed out of you. Right? So if you're in circumstances and what's being squeezed out of you doesn't look too pretty, it's okay. Today's a new day. Okay? Today's a new day. How many are grateful that today's a new day? All right. How many are grateful that you're not have to deal with what you dealt with yesterday? Again, 
right? Or Friday or Thursday, right? The third group is this. They're called growing believers. These are believers that are learning, uh, who are learning, uh, sorry, uh, mature believers. I'm dropping down to mature believers, the third one. They are mature believers. I would call them pillars. They're leaders. They're mentors. They're coaches. They're disciple-making machines. They reach out. They're responsible. They're respected. They've already encountered the devil many, many times. Many times. Many times. And consistently overcome him. There's this moment in life that I realized when, um, when you've got to stand out front of your own Goliath all by yourself and no one else is going to be there. And then you go, oh, I guess this is a moment to grow. <laughs> and then you turn around, you go, well, maybe if I use Saul's armor, maybe if I do what Sandra did, then I can overcome the enemy. And God says, um, what did I put in your hands? Uh, sling shot? Get five smooth stones because they represent the fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and pastor. Get a balanced life. Get a balanced approach. And you know what's awesome is when you got the five, the first one's going to work anyway. <laughs> he rears back. He doesn't get to the second, third, fourth, or fifth stone. He hit him on the first one. He was down. And you know what's amazing about that battle is he didn't defeat Goliath. He defeated the whole nation. There's moments that are coming and are probably already there. And some of you feel like you're somewhere between two and three. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I still, I'm definitely two. I'm a growing believer. And all of us are growing in that sense. But you feel like you're on that cusp of being that mature believer. But you're scared out of your mind to deal with the nine foot two tall guy. It's got a really big sword and a really big group of people behind him. You're like, I don't know how I can deal with Goliath. I, 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 I've been watching him. He's been taunting us, and I, I don't know what to do. I'm intimidated. I'm fearful. I, I don't know how to overcome it. The word. So you know what David said? This is going to sound really bad in church, but I'm just going to say it. He looks at him, and he says, you uncircumcised Philistine. How dare you mock my God? Now, I don't recommend doing that to somebody at Starbucks in a line anytime soon. I, I don't recommend it. Um, they may, I don't know what they'll do, um, but I don't recommend it. I don't think it'll go over too well. But I want you to see the response and the advice that John gives this third group of people. Verse 13, he says, because you know whom, him who was from the beginning. Verse 14, because you know him who was from the beginning. Verse 15, because you know him who was from the beginning. I'm kidding, I could keep going. But verse 16, why is this important? Mature people understand that God's faithful. What are you going to do about that? I'm not worried. Why? God's faithful. How do you know? I took down a nine-foot-two guy with a stone. <laughs> that was awesome. 
How did you do that? God. I love the response to the mature believers. Oh, God's faithful. Because you know him. Because you know him. What do we know? He's faithful. When? From the beginning. What are you saying? He always was. He always is. And he will always be faithful. Mature believers are the most annoying group of people to anyone in the first two sections. Because you look at them and you go, would you just shut up? Like, I don't want to hear no more stories about what God's doing for you because he's not doing it for me. And they look at you and they go, get the word of God in you. Is it that simple? It is that simple. Because if the enemy squeezes you, something is always going to come out. But by putting the word of God in, you are already predetermining when you're squeezed what's coming out. Keep growing. Stay alert. Follow the Bible. Boom. That's it. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle me. He's got judo I've never heard of. But he can't handle the one to whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. And he cannot handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. Say, I'm struggling. I don't know if I can do this battle myself. It's okay. David had a whole army behind him. So let's revert back to week one. Fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. Fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. What does that do? It starts to settle the foundations of your identity. So that we can do what? So that we can overcome the enemy. Love always overcomes the enemy. The love of the father and the love of his kids always will propel you to overcome the enemy. Amen? We will overcome him. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to jump down into verse 15, 16, and 17 now. And it says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The perspective that a mature believer, so a number three believer has, is very interesting. The perspective they have is that the world that they see is going to pass away. Therefore, to invest in it is an unwise investment. They choose to invest in eternal things because they know that it's an eternal investment. And they can never, ever, ever lose that harvest. Ever. Ever. Amen? Amen. I want to read the Passion Translation of this verse, of these three verses, and it's just so good. It says this, Starting in verse 15, it says, don't set the affections of your heart on this world. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world. 
I think we could just repeat that all day long. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of this world, and the obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God live forever. It's an eternal investment. Amen? 1 John 2.15 in the Message Bible. I just want to read this to you because I think it's cool. It says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Squeezes it out. Means it doesn't, you don't have room for it. Because anything that you put into your life automatically squeezes out other things. You can only have so much space for so much stuff. You know what I'm saying? Amen? The Greek word for love that is used here in verse 15 is very interesting because it, it actually connotes uh, uh, an, or indicates an intentional decision in a willful direction or willful choice that you are making. It's talking about an intelligent, purposeful choice. Okay? So when it says, do not love the world, it's saying, do not set your intentions, your affections on the world because you'll never get what you ultimately want. We have to choose every day who and what we set our affections on. We choose. No one's twisting our arm. No one's putting a gun to our head. We make the choice every single day what and who we put our affections on. Amen? James chapter 4, verse 4, the second part. I'm going to read it from the the Passion Translation. I love this. It says this. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. What does the world represent here? It represents the world's way of thinking, the world's system, the world's culture, the world's philosophies. What's the goal of the world from the enemy's perspective? It's to seduce you into a wrong pattern of thinking. That's the goal. But he's saying in this passage in this chapter 2, He's saying, but this is what we have to overcome. Amen? I love Matthew 16, 26. It says this, For even if you were to gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything it could offer you, at the cost of your own life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? What an incredible contrast. When I read that verse, I had this really weird thought, and for those that are maybe involved in the business world, you guys would know this, but... The question that kind of struck me and kind of stuck in me as I read that verse was this. What would we do or what would it look like if we did a cost-benefit analysis of our soul? Hmm. What's the positives? What's the negatives? What's the risk? What's the reward? I want you to think about right now what you invest into your soul, your mind, your will, into your emotions. Who's in your life that has a voice in your life? I'm not just talking about anyone that just says stuff, but who have you opened the door to allow to speak into your life? What are they doing? What are they saying? Are they calling out the Father heart of God for you, or are they calling out the love of the world? 
Where are they drawing you? Towards the love of the Father or the love of the world? 1 Corinthians 2.12 says this, For we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. All that grace has lavished upon us. What are the three things he's warning about? He's warning about three very basic things. Number one, the lust of the eyes, which refers to any unhealthy longing for things that we can see. The lust of the flesh, which refers to any impulsive desires that originates in our sinful nature. The third one is this, the pride of life, refers to a pride that includes things like pride of experience, accomplishments, money, position, power, and bragging beyond the limits of reality. C.S. Lewis described pride like this, and I think it's a very powerful thought. He said, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. For it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. What an incredible thought. I can literally look back at my life, and I can tell you exactly when I started to stray exactly when I started to struggle. And in every single case scenario, it's because pride set in and I wouldn't humble myself. Every time. I could write a book on how many times I've done this. And every time I go, oh, Cameron, what are you doing? Cameron, what are you doing? Come on. You know better. Cameron, come on. But there's a moment that comes where we have to stare that question, that decision, that thought in the, in the face and literally say, I choose the Father's love over the love of the world. I want to share a thought that's been on my heart all week, and I'm just going to share it. It may be for one of you. It may be for all of you. But you know what's a great proof of the love of the world? I'm going to give it to you. When you'll do anything and everything to protect your own reputation. Jesus became of no reputation and came to earth and died a sinner's death, a painful death, and a horrific death because he wanted to set an example to you guys of the key to open and unlock the Father heart of God, moving, speaking, and healing you. It's the humble road. It's the road of humility. God, it's not about me. It's about you. God, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. God, it's not about my career path and my career choice. It's about what you want for me. God, it's not about where I'm going to invest my money. It's about where you want me to invest my money. God, it's not about what friends I want to hang out with or what friends I want to do with. God, it's about who you want for my life. It's a different way of thinking. But I love this whole thing. He, he sets us all up in this chapter for one thought. And he ends it in the last seven, cha- or seven verses of this chapter talking about this one thought. And I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. He talks about something called the anointing. And for those that have been around church, you're going to go, I know what that is. For those of you who've never been around church, you're going to go like, what? For those that have been around church, sometimes you're going to go, what? I call the anointing God's secret sauce. You know what I'm saying? 
You know, you can marinate that chicken for three hours, but when you marinate it for 12, you know what I'm saying? It's special. The anointing is God's secret sauce that he wants you to marinate in. So when people take from your life, it is sweet. It is awesome. It literally is the divine power of God in your life. It's the divine power of God working in and through your life. But if we want, we can call it God's secret sauce. I think that's better. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, But you have an anointing. You have God's secret sauce from him, from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Where is he landing again? The secret sauce has greater effect the more the word of God is in you. They're connected. The Holy Spirit, which is the secret sauce, and Jesus, which is the word, together is a beautiful thing. Believe that God's power, his anointing, his secret sauce is for you. It's on you. It's in you. The anointing opens your heart to the word of God in a very profound way. One of the things that I do before I read my Bible, I'm reading something, I just go, you know, Lord, give me insight, not according to my own thoughts, my own experiences, but Holy Spirit, speak to me through your word today. Speak to me and show me through your word what I need to know and understand and do. He goes on in verse 27, he says this, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. That's his heart for you, that it would remain in you. But you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So catch this. In order for the anointing, the secret sauce, the power of God to remain in you, you need to remain in him. You can't have one without the other. Because if not, if we have the anointing without him, we have a counterfeit. And the problem with a counterfeit is it looks really good. It looks real. Why do we need to know this today? Because in the last days, the Bible says that there will be many that will be deceived. It actually says the elect will be deceived. The elect referring to leaders, pastors, will be deceived. So how do we know the counterfeit? It's not by doing a study on all the counterfeit bills. You know the counterfeit when you know the real thing. Very well. The only way to tell a counterfeit is when you know what's real. Amen? So what can the anointing do? Thank you for asking. First thing is this. In Isaiah chapter 10, it actually says it can remove burdens from your life. How many are sick and tired of carrying the same burdens over and over and over again? Come on. How many are sick and tired of having the same thing repeat over and over again? How many are sick and tired of feeling the weight of all of those things so much that it feels like you just keep, can't getting ahead? You can't get ahead, you can't get ahead. No matter how hard you try, you can't get ahead. Isaiah 10, verse 27, it says this, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, that pressure, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil, the secret sauce of God. 
Second thought, the anointing breaks the power of depression and brings joy. I love this. Isaiah chapter 61, it says, To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Hebrews 1.9, it goes on and it says this, For your God has anointed you with the oil, the secret sauce of gladness. How many want joy in their life? Come on. I do. Third thing is this. The anointing brings healing. Mark 6.13 It's a great verse because it's just the entire verse here talks about overcoming the enemy. And it says this, and they cast out many demons. I have a question for you. If we in a church service had multiple people being delivered from demons, would it freak you out? I'm just pre-warning you because I am believing for anything. Because I want to see people set free. That's the heart of God. Okay, so we're good? No one's throwing anything at me, and I see no one going to Facebook yet. Okay, good. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. But it says, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. We are literally going to take that verse and act it out today. Okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to get there in a second. But I want to end with one quote from Billy Graham that I love. He says this, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. (laughs) So I want you to know this morning, I want you to know this morning, God has the victory. And because you're a child of God, you have the victory. And God has chosen to put on you and in you his secret sauce that can overcome the enemy. If you make the choice to stay rooted to the understanding that God has forgiven you of much, to understand that the Father heart of God is for you, not against you, that if you continue to live out in faith the things that the Word of God is is saying for you to do, and you keep putting the Word of God in your life, then I have news for you. You're going to be just like those mature believers that say, God's faithful. God's faithful. How do you know? Yeah, he's faithful. How do you know it's going to work out okay? Because it will. Well, that's no reassurance. It is for me. Those people are so annoying. You know why they're annoying? Because their heart of fear has been settled. The heart of hesitancy towards God has been settled. People sometimes look at us and they're like, what is wrong with you people? And I go, I don't know. If there's one thing that God's gifted me with is that I'm a complete child. In every way. (laughs) Sometimes that is good. Sometimes, as the worship team saw last night, sometimes that's not good. But here's what has helped me out. When you come to me and say, well, what are you going to do in that situation? I'm going to do this. Well, how do you know? God told me. You don't struggle with that? Nope. Why? Because God told me. Yeah, but what about all the other stuff? Yep. Doesn't that worry you? Nope. Why? Because God told me. Well, how do you know he's going to come through? Because he's faithful. How do you know? Do you want to read my journal books? I got seven of them filled with stories of God's faithfulness. 
whenever I've struggled, Sandra puts me on the couch, sits me down, says, you stay there. And I know what's coming. And she goes up to our room. She finds one of my journal books. She puts it in front of me and says, open it up. And I'm like, no. No. She goes, start reading. I don't last three seconds and I'm bawling. I'm just like, okay, Lord, I know. I know, Lord, you're going to be faithful. We're going to get through this. I don't know how, but God, we're going to do it. So you have to understand today that God is now putting his journal book in front of you. And it is filled with stories of breakthrough and it is filled with stories of healing and it's filled with stories of things that you don't even know or could believe even if they told you. And I feel like today, as I've been praying all week, that this morning is a morning for healing and for breakthrough. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.